Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. I don't know where you're at, but despite the fact that I knew it was coming, I'm still quite taken aback to see the calendar flip over to August. I feel like I have not squeezed enough out of this summer yet. So if you're freaking out that there are only four weeks before kids are back in school, consider this your reminder to take the time to have some fun before routines settle in again after Labor Day. But for now, coming up on today's show, Tara Tang is an embodiment coach who works in the intersections of spirituality and sexuality. She helps people find their way back to their bodies, overcome shame, and dismantle purity culture in a way that is in alignment with their values and beliefs so that they can build a healthy sexual ethic and thrive in freedom and wholeness. RBC She's the Boss this week is profiling Amber Cadeau from Be Blue Bijou. Be Blue Jewelry was born from the conviction that wearing jewelry designed with mind and meaning is an expression of our own personality and is one of the most empowering accessories a woman can wear. Plus, every single piece that Amber creates is made right here in Canada. Anne Brody has entertainment for days this week, starting with the long-awaited Jungle Cruise with Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt, plus the intriguing crime thriller Playing God, Sonia Kennebec's chilling documentary Enemies of the State, and the second season of Apple Plus TV's Ted Lasso. When it comes to women in leadership roles, there is a damaging misconception that women are too emotional. The reality, though, is that we are masters of emotional intelligence. That is, the ability to manage our own emotions in positive ways to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathize with other, overcome challenges, and diffuse conflict. Karina Walsh, a certified coach, author, speaker, and CEO of Shift People Development, Inc., joins me to share how we can sharpen our EQ. The women's labor force participation rate has hit the lowest level in over 30 years across Canada, and three entrepreneurs are responding with free support for female job seekers to fix the problem. Lee Mitchell, Verity Dimock, and Sue Christensen have designed a She Covery Plan, a rapid assessment tool to help unemployed women significantly speed up their job search and land the right jobs. Finally, 12-year-old Inara Elaine is Telling Tales Junior Ambassador and is on a mission to inspire kids to explore diverse characters and diverse creators. In her new role, she will be introducing kids and families to some of Canada's best authors and illustrators in an interview series called One Big Question. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. My next 
guest is an embodiment coach who works in the intersections of spirituality and sexuality. She helps people find their way back to their bodies, overcome shame, and dismantle purity culture in a way that is in alignment with their values and beliefs so that they can build a healthy sexual ethic and thrive in freedom and wholeness. Tara Tang came to this work after witnessing her generation struggle under the oppressive confines of the purity industry's movement of the 90s and 2000s, bringing with it all the broken relationships, sexual dysfunctions, autoimmune disorders, and sexual violence that ensued as a result of abstinence-only teaching that left us with an unhealthy obsession with virginity and lack of sexual ethics in our relationships. She joins me today to discuss purity culture. Welcome to the show, Tara. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I have to tell you, I'm, I felt a little bit ignorant on this one. I had not really heard about purity culture. So how would you define it? Yeah, so purity culture, I mean, we have been shaming women for their sexuality forever. This is not a new concept. Under the system of patriarchy, women's bodies and women's sexuality in specific is one of the first things to be shamed and to be controlled. But the way that purity culture, as we see it here in North America, especially as it reached its height in the 90s and 2000s, it's very unique. It was very, very driven by the religious movement. It was very driven by abstinent-only teaching. But it goes so much deeper than just don't have sex until you're married. We hear things like true love waits and we hear things like your body is a temple or save yourself for marriage. But it goes so much deeper than just whether or not you choose to be absent, whether or not you choose to, whether or not you have sex or not. It goes so much deeper into policing the the clothes that women put on their bodies, the way that we would dress, the way that we would walk. It goes so much to say your body really isn't your own and you have to be responsible for the sexual decisions of other people because at the end of the day, it's you who makes the choice whether or not somebody else, we would say in the purity culture movement, they stumbled or not, whether or not somebody else viewed you as some as a sexual object or not, quite honestly. It put the onus on women rather than opening up the conversation saying, hey, really, we all have to be responsible for the choice choices that we make and the way that we treat one another, we treat one another's bodies, we engage in, in every interaction we have, in every relationship we have, sexual or not, in a way that honors the full personhood of that person, rather than just seeing people as sexual objects for us to consume. What are some of the ways that purity culture then, um, I guess, weaved its way into society in the 90s and 2000s that is causing so yeah. much damage now? Well, I don't know if you remember this, this, this was, um, for me, you know, growing up, I think I was 12 in the year 2000 <laughs> when the big millennium change happened, right? I was about 11 or 12 years old. I remember that night so clearly. And some of the things that we were talking about in pop culture around this time, we had, we had celebrities like Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson were front and center. And what was the big conversation about that? whether or not they were saving themselves for marriage. And I'm using air quotes here, right? Because this was mainstream conversation. This was the tabloids. This is what we were all talking about. Is she having sex? Is she not having sex? These very intimate and private conversations we were having on a collective scale about what women's bodies. And we go so much deeper because 
some of the things that I was explicitly taught in purity culture and growing up in the church in this time was that my body didn't belong to me. My body belonged to my one day assumed husband that I would have. And at about the age of about 13 years old, I was being asked to pledge my virginity to somebody that I had never met, would maybe never get married, but their body already belonged to them and not to me around the age that I was coming into puberty, before I even had a boyfriend, before I had my first kiss, we were telling women that their bodies didn't belong to them and they belonged to somebody else right when women, when girls were coming of age, when they were still basically children. Yeah, one of the things I, you know, before this, this interview, I was reading into purity culture. And one of the things that struck me was that uh, women are, were told, you know, not to have a sexual sexual feelings or identity mm -hmm. and but of course once they got married they were supposed to be these really hypersexual beings for yes. their husband you're supposed to take care of all of your husband's needs and i've heard this preached and taught even to the point that you aren't allowed to say no and your body doesn't belong to you women weren't even taught about things like how their menstrual cycle worked how fertility worked how anything in their body worked because they did not have bodily autonomy and to your earlier question of how does this impact us on a collective like societal level it's really not surprising to sit back and see, oh, we live in a, pro a, a culture and a country where we have to have something like the Me Too movement to talk about the massive pro collective problem of rape and sexual assault, because culturally we have this idea that we don't know how to have proper healthy sexual relationships with one another. We don't talk about bodily autonomy. We've pushed it all under the rug. We've shamed it. We've shoved it into the shadows. We've, we've taught abstinence only sex education. And we haven't really talked about consent, bodily autonomy, negotiating um, our boundaries, negotiating what we feel healthy with. And when is a, is a good time to engage in something sexual with another person and when is not. And more importantly than any of that, your body belongs to you only your body cannot be controlled or owned by another person period end of discussion and that's the biggest thing that was was not taught that was missed in purity culture which for so many people was the bulk of our education coming of age and and clearly this affects women uh in a deep way mm -hmm. but as you're saying this i'm thinking this has contributed to a lot of the toxic masculinity out there as well yes. that we're seeing so this affects yes. the men in our lives and their mm -hmm. ability to cope in a yes. healthy relationship and it does men a huge disservice as well too because under purity culture we were taught oh men can't control their themselves so even if you see a woman's shoulders it's just too sexual a man can't help himself but be overcome by his sexual urges and he might just want to rape her rather than having a conversation about boundaries and consent and caring for the human dignity of the individual. We've just treated all men as absolute horn dogs, pardon me, pardon me, <laughs> but complete and total horn dogs that have no sense of ethics or self-control. And that's just such a terrible way to view another human being. And so where does this toxic masculinity come from, right? It's dehumanizing on both levels. And and for people who are from the LGBTQ plus community, like myself, there was no understanding or 
space for that because it was only assumed that you could, it was only ethical or right to have sex within a marriage. And then the purity culture also was at the point where it only defined marriage between a man and a woman. So it left out so many people and controlled the bodies of so many people and set us up for failure in the way that we have our relationships. Many of the clients that I work with now are trying to heal from purity culture. They're trying to feel safe and at home in their bodies again. And whether you grew up in purity culture or the church or church adjacent or just part of the wider society, most of us have broken relationships with our bodies. We have, we struggle with, with body image. We compare ourselves to one another. We, we see problems like racial tensions based on the body. Every injustice in the world begins with the body. Racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, fat phobia, ableism. It all begins with the way that we perceive our bodies and dehumanize one another in our bodies rather than returning to right relationship with one another. That's an excellent segue uh, into the next part here because I want people to be able to connect with you to work with you about this or maybe just follow on social media because you share a lot there as well. So if you could share, that'd be great. Absolutely. I love that so much because I know so many people, whether you grew up just in purity culture or not, we, we struggle with this so deeply. It affects our self-identity. It affects our relationships. It even affects our physical health because there's a massive connection between purity culture and a rise in autoimmune disorders. There's a, a, a connection between things like vaginismus and painful sex. When you've been told that the body is bad for so long, your body actually begins to shut down and you don't have to live that way. You can live and freedom. You can have freedom in your body, freedom in your relationships. So I'd love to connect with anybody who's feeling that way. You can find me on my website, taratang.com. Um, I do one-on-one coaching. I do in-person um, events and, uh, and online digital events everywhere in the world. And you can also connect with me on socials. I'm at Miss Tara Tang everywhere across the social media. All right. Amazing. Tara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. With you till the world blows up. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Joining me now for RBC She's the Boss is Amber Cadu from Be Blue Bijou. Be Blue Jewelry was born from the conviction that wearing jewelry designed with mind and meaning is an expression of our own personality and is one of the most empowering accessories a woman can wear. Every piece Amber creates is made right here in Canada. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thank you for having me, Candice. So you you actually have a long history with jewelry, correct? Yes, actually, yes, it's true. My, uh, so I'm, I'm born in France, and my grandparents and great grandparents were actually jewelers. So I'm a, I'm a family of jewelers. Unfor- unfortunately, I didn't get really to know them, so my passion for jewelry wasn't transmitted by them. But then I always say it must stay in the genes for sure. <laughs> So what prompted you then to start your own business? Was it because it was in your blood or was there a moment where you said, this is what I, I meant to do? 
Well, younger, I, I mean, at a young adult age, I figured out that, you know, the, the big companies were not for me. It was not, you know, like according to my, to my character. So uh, I knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was fascinated with restaurant business and I wanted to have my own restaurant and eventually my own bar or my own club in the young, you know, around my 18s. So, um, so actually before my jewelry uh, business, I had a, a restaurant business and I, I owned a, a big coffee shop. And uh, so I was, you know, starting into the restaurant business. And after two years and a half, I realized that something was missing, you know, like there was a, it was something was not creative enough for me. So, uh, and then this first ex business experience didn't go as great as expected. So let's say it turned sour, which uh, I think is a great, you know, it's a great learning curve as well. So, and this is when I was in front of a, of a white page for myself. And I said, well, you know, what, what is there that I like about, you know, the businesses? What do I want to do? How do I want to do it? And why not take this opportunity to create really the life and the company, you know, that will allow me to live, you know, the way I want doing the things that I love. So I wanted, you know, to be creative. I wanted to, to travel. Uh, I, I wanted, I, I, you know, I wanted the different facets of a business, just not the business side and just not the creative side. And this is when, you know, life brings you, you know, on a certain path. And at first you don't understand why, but then you, you know that there's no coincidence. So um, life brought me to renew with jewelry again. And uh, at first I not, did not necessarily think I was going to create my own brand and create it in Montreal and, and you know, like manufacture everything in Montreal. But very, very shortly when I started, it, it defined that I was going to do that. And you really touched on something that I think is a common thread for all entrepreneurs. It's that failure, pick yourself up again, dust yourself off and do it all over right? Uh, so people will look at you and go, oh, look at what a great success you are. But that was a success probably, what, 20 years in the making, right? Until you got to this point. Yes, for sure. And I mean, to, you know, j just for me, just, you know, success can be defined many different ways, right? But I think that for me, being able to do something that I love every day and, and you know, finding ways of loving it again every day, because, you know, I'm, I'm just a little bit, you know, 10 years, you know, more than 10 years now that I have the blue. And, and of course, some things you like more and some things you like less, you know, so you need to reword that. So for me, that only is a success. And my, my previous business, yes, was not a success financially, that, that's for sure. But, <laughs> but also, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a life success. It wasn't a personal life success because it did not make me happy. And I think this is something that we forget you know, a lot to, 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 to talk about. It's not just financial success for me. This is not the reason why I do it. It's really something more from the heart. So what sets your jewelry, your pieces uh, apart from the competition? Because there is a lot of competition out there. There is a lot. And when I started Be Blue 10 years ago, I was like, can't I find something like a bit, you know, with less competition? But I, I don't... Um, I do it from the heart. I do it with meaning. I do it with intention. And I, I don't preoccupy myself too much about what's out there, okay? Because I think that uh, people who will love my jewelry will connect with the piece itself, but with what's behind it as well. So it's the values, it's, it's the why I do it. It's, you know, really to, to empower uh, ourselves, myself, you know, like anybody who's, who's wearing it. 
and it, but it's also doing it with the the real jewelry traditions you know of the jewelry making so um it's really affordable luxury so we 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 actually make the piece exactly the same way that we would make like like the ring that you're wearing we would make it exactly the same way as you know like we make gold and diamonds it's exactly the same making but we do it in sterling silver and and gold plated and semi precious uh, semi precious stones so the the quality is really there the way of the making is really there but for me it has to be accessible and sometimes the 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 jewelers with who I work to challenge me and there's like no that you don't do it on silver you cannot it's done only on gold and on you know like it's a waste of time to do it on sterling silver because for them it's not as noble but for me it's yes it has to be done exactly the same way so I think that's that's one of the thing that sets uh, be blue apart it's uh, it's not costume jewelry you know like with no no it's it's a real jewelry and uh, we uh, we shake a bit the, the conventions of jewelry making <laughs> Well, your, your, your jewelry is gorgeous. For those listening, they can't see this video, but I am wearing a couple of your pieces and I love them. Uh, I feel like a million bucks wearing this ring and bracelet that, that you gifted me, which was so kind of you. Um, I want people to be able to find you, find out more, and we have a special code for them. So I'm going to let you give that to them. Yes, so uh, please visit our website, bebluejewelry.com or bebluebijou.com. Uh, both work and you can follow us as well on Instagram with the handle bebluebijou and on Facebook, same. And uh, if you if you like the jewelry at checkout, you can use uh, the code CANDICE15. Uh, it will be, uh, thank you, you know, like for, for this opportunity. It's, uh, it's, it's really great, Candice. Wonderful. Okay. So thank you to Amber from Bibu Bajou for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is to support is here to support you through digital first solutions, advice and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business. Nothing in it. Joining me now with the latest in entertainment is Ann Brody. Ann, what do you got for us this week? Got lots for you. Starting with the big event of the week, which is Jungle Cruise, uh, which is available on Disney Plus with Premier Access, but also in theaters. And it stars Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt, which everyone knows because they've been making the circuit on American talk shows. So they play Frank and Lily. Frank is the pilot who is going to take Lily up the Amazon River to find the uh, tree of mythology that whose leaves can heal all of humanity's ills. So um, yeah, that's the basic story of it. There is so much energy between these two. It's so fun. It's not romantic, um, but it's sizzling. They, she won't take no for an answer. This is the 20s and she's a feminist and a, an academic researcher. So she, she's looking for botanical cures. And this one, she had to steal the map to get there in England. I want to be clear. This is the 1920s, right? Yes. 
1920s. Because <laughs> we are in the 20s again, Anne. Yeah, I know, but barely. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so they come across every kind of threat you can imagine. Uh, horrific uh, snakes, um, water creatures, uh, natives who attack them. And then further down the road, they come across these really vividly dressed uh, indigenous people um, and they're captured and they're threatened to be cooked and eaten. And then we find out that Dwayne Johnson's Frank has hires them to entertain his uh, crews when he takes them up the river, but he forgot to unbook them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was quite a bit of fun in it. A lot of people won't like it for because it's, because it's what it is. I mean, it's a fun, silly, graphic, special effects, heavy uh, actioner. And I, I mean, I like that. I think it's really I'm fun. Totally, I, I'm totally down for light and silly and funny. And I just, you know, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, he is so endearing and so sweet. He just seems like a nice person. And Emily Blunt, her acting range to go from a oh, quiet know, right? place to to Jungle Cruise, to Mary yeah. Poppins. She's incredible. He chased her relentlessly. She didn't answer his first call, but eventually he was, he just wanted Emily Blunt and nobody else. But I got to tell you about Jesse Plemons, who plays this uh, Russian sort of pre-Nazi submarine guy who's also after this tree. And he's got this old ornate kind of steampunk submarine Oh my God, he's hilarious. He's he's actually funnier than they are. <laughs> well, I, I'm but, all in. I I I love Disney. Okay. I love it's, their movies. I'm all yeah, in for it's this. Just one. a little bit long for kids. If kids can tolerate a long sit, that's fine. All right, let's talk about playing God. Oh my God, that is so good. It was unexpectedly deep. I thought it was going to be some sort of uh, black comedy. It's about two twins who were abandoned by their father and then their mother died when they were very young. Uh, and they're con artists. They had to become con artists as children, as toddlers. So they're pretty capable by the time they reach adulthood. So uh, they decide they're going to bilk this local billionaire whose daughter died and he, he can't stop grieving. He's tried everything new age. They find out about him. So they tell him that they can, they can cure him by introducing him to God. Now, they have a family friend who runs a disco rollerblade palace, and he's going to play God. He's very good at it. It's Michael McKean. And his assistant, get this, Jesus, <laughs> is going to do all those special effects. So it's Jesus and God. And it always happens high up on a tower. Very clever. I really, really enjoyed it. And so that's on, um, where is that on? That's in in some theaters and on TVOD. God bless TVOD. And no kidding. Uh, for those of us who are not ready to be in theaters, we've still got TVOD. Um, yes. We only have a couple of minutes because we spent so much on time on Jungle Cruise. But let's quickly get to... Uh, enemies of the state, Ted Lasso, oh. and Small Town News. Oh, my God. That's a white knuckle ride, enemies of the state. It's about Matt DeHart, who was an anonymous and Wikipedia uh, alleged leaker. The FBI was after him. He's American, is, uh, and he was arrested on child pornography charges so that they could get into his computers and whatnot. Um, anyway, so this kid is, uh, claims his innocence. His parents claim his innocence. He runs away, not only hands himself into the Russian embassy in Washington, he runs away to Mexico and then he defects to Canada, all the while proclaiming his innocence. 
oh my God, his parents are so down with them. And then the hugest twist I think I've ever seen in a documentary at the end. Wow. Uh, and the enemies of the state is where? Uh, TVOD. All right. And finally, Ted Lasso, I'm assuming second season. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Do you watch it? I have not seen it yet, but I have it's heard. It's so I've, cute. I've heard people raving about it. Yeah. Uh, it's so definitely on my list. Um, yeah. And Small Town News. Where can we catch that one? That's on HBO or Crave. And it's a great story about Small Town News in the middle of the desert in California. And it's got all the usual stereotypes of newsrooms. It's wonderful. All right. So. You've got these plus more on what she said talk.com, and you are going to be back next week with more entertainment for us. You betcha. You betcha. See you then, Candace. Thanks, Anne. Let me go. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. When it comes to women in leadership roles, there is a damaging misconception that women are far too emotional. The reality, though, is that we are masters of emotional intelligence. That is the ability to manage our own emotions in positive ways to relieve stress, communicate effectively, empathize with others, overcome challenges, and diffuse conflict. Karina Walsh is a certified coach, author, speaker, and the CEO of Shift People Development Incorporated. Through her signature approach, known Mm -hmm. as the Shift PD method, she helps managers and companies develop the behaviors and skills they need to transform the way they lead and build top workplaces. She joins me now to discuss how to hone your EI skills. Welcome Mm -hmm. to the show, Karina. Thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about emotional intelligence then. Um, I mean, I think I sort of defined it in the in the in the lead in, but how would you define it? Yes, you did. So I would define it as, you know, your ability to tune into how you're feeling and understand what your emotions are trying to tell you, your ability to tune into how other people are feeling so that you can respond to them effectively. But, you know, that's really just the first step in emotional intelligence. It's actually a huge skill set. And the model that I use includes 15 different skills um, that everyone needs in order to succeed in our careers and in our lives today. Why are women at an advantage when it comes to emotional intelligence? Women are at a huge advantage, actually, because women have always been given permission to talk about our feelings. That's what we do. We get together with other women and sometimes men too, but mostly with, you know, with our girlfriends, our female colleagues, and we talk about the impact that something had on us or how we're feeling. And because we've always been given permission to talk about our feelings, we are primed to take in this broader skill set that includes emotional intelligence and leverage that to our greatest power. And nowadays in the 21st century, what employees are looking for is an empathic leader. They're looking for leaders who have higher levels of empathy, who are tuned into the team and the broader organization. And women have always led that way. We've always you know, put the community first. And um, so it's, it's just up to us to keep leveraging that skill. 
I'm glad that you brought up empathy uh, because I think when we look around, particularly over the last, you know, maybe 20 months or so since the pandemic has entered our lives, what we're seeing is that the most effective um, stances that have happened in coronavirus are from female leaders <laughs> who employ that empathy. Yes, you're 100% right. I mean, in times of crisis, because I'm such a leadership nerd, I'm always looking to see who, what leader is standing out, you know, globally, especially. And it was just a hands down. It was Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand being lauded as, you know, the leader right now who was handling the pandemic the most effectively. And yes, she's laying down the rules and she's making people follow this, follow the standards to protect themselves. But she's also in her sweatshirt, in her kitchen, you know, being fully honest with everyone in her country about what's happening. And she didn't sugarcoat it. And she didn't try to put up the tough face, you know. She was right there with everyone and, and feeling along with them. And she definitely came out on top as, as one of the leaders to follow. Now, I mean, obviously, emotional intelligence when it comes to leaders is, is a key skill to have. But you don't have to be a leader to build these skills, right? That's correct. No, I mean, emotional intelligence is a valuable skill set for everyone to help us get what we want from life in general. If you want to feel differently, if you want that, you know, that general life satisfaction, emotional intelligence can help you get that personal power to make whatever changes you want to make in life to live the way you want to live. I'm curious if you found a shift in the space since the pandemic started when it comes to developing these skills. So there was a huge shift even before the pandemic started. Companies are definitely recognizing the power of emotional intelligence, especially for their leaders. And now, I mean, since the pandemic has happened, it's nothing like a crisis to help us realize what's most important to us in life. So yeah, I think people are taking stock of what really matters to them right now, and they're making decisions differently. You know, employees are not going to stay with the company that doesn't um, put them first. And we're making decisions on a different scale now because we recognize just how far fragile and precious life really is. I, I don't want to pick on men uh, <laughs> in particular, but I'm curious, you know, you obviously work with men and women. I do. Do you have a harder time getting men to tap into their own emotional intelligence? Because I think there's probably years of conditioning mm. that men shut that out of their lives. You're absolutely right. There has been years of conditioning. Fortunately, what I see with my coaching clients is that when we get into a private one-on-one -on -one session, men are just waiting for someone to give them permission to talk about how they feel. So they actually open up in a one-on-one -on -one setting quite quickly because, you know, I've built up trust with them. If, if they've agreed to work with me, there's some, some sense of trust there anyway. Um, so as soon as they're given permission to talk, they, they do actually, which is, it's quite a relief. And it's really unfair to men that they don't have that permission the way women do, you know? Let's talk about the shift in the workplace then from a place that's maybe not uh, working on their emotional intelligence and then a place that is uh, using emotional intelligence mm -hmm. with their employees and stuff. How would you compare those two environments? Yeah, it will be pretty obvious, actually. Um, the organizations that are not, maybe don't even know what emotional intelligence is or they know what it is but aren't working on it, aren't helping their employees develop it, you're going to see a lot more conflict for sure, because people are not self-managing and self-regulating properly. You know, there's always going to be some disagreements in the workplace. It's how you deal with it that matters. And if you deal with it in an emotionally intelligent way, you're going to see probably less engagement, like less employee engagement, um, generally unhappier employees, 
Whereas if you go to a company and I'm blessed to have some really amazing clients who collectively are really high in emotional intelligence, generally there's more employee satisfaction. There's better decision-making. There's more empathy. So people generally feel that their voices are heard and there's way less interpersonal conflict. It doesn't mean that things are perfect. It doesn't mean that you're never going to have a little blip or a little conflict over here. Um, but generally speaking, there's higher levels of engagement. Companies are uh, have a healthier bottom line as well because of such a stronger workforce. Okay. So I know somebody is listening to this and they're rolling their eyes because they're thinking, oh, wow, like are, we're getting all touchy-feely in the workplace. It's not about that though, right? It's not about your feelings necessarily. No, it's not. It's, it's such a broader skill set. And the first step is understanding where emotions come from and how to regulate them and what your emotions mean. But then there's this entire model. You know, I I use a model that's actually 15 different skills, and it includes skills like emotional awareness, emotional communication, decision-making, interpersonal skills, stress management, just, just to name a few. And, you know, your intellect and your skill will only get you so far in your career, especially, then it becomes about your interpersonal skills. It becomes about your ability to influence others. It becomes about how well you manage yourself when you get bad news, you know, especially if you're in a meeting in front of all your other colleagues. And all of a sudden, it isn't so much about your technical abilities, and it's about how you interact with others and how you self-manage. And there's an old saying in my field that leaders are hired for their IQ, but fired for a lack of EQ. So the higher you get on those that, that leadership level, the more you're relying on those interpersonal skills and emotional intelligence skills, as opposed to your technical skills. And that just makes sense because you're doing less of the technical work anyway. Time and time again, there are repeated studies out there that show that money is not the number one way to retain your staff. <laughs> so- Are you, do you see this in the workplaces that you work in that the ones that have more emotional intelligence retain their staff, even though the pay maybe is not as good as another company? Definitely. Employees have definitely left roles. I know this from my own experience, but also from the research, employees will leave a role sometimes for the same salary or even less salary. If the leaders in that organization don't have that emotional intelligence and they're just dealing with some bad managers. So obviously that would cost a company a lot of money if they're having a lot of turnover and employees are leaving because of the management practices or the, the you know the lack of healthy leadership. So it's a it's a huge factor. Money it's money is only a driver to a certain point. And it, it used to be around $70,000 a year, I think was the salary. I think it's probably a little bit higher than that now. Um, but once you get to that kind of comfortable salary, all these other factors become much more important as a, as a motivator to keep employees. I want anybody who's listening right now then to be able to connect with you who is in a leadership <laughs> role or just want to, you know, work on their own uh, skill set when it comes to emotional intelligence. How can they find you and connect with you? Uh, absolutely. My website is shiftpd.com. So my website is, is a great way to connect with me. I'm on Twitter as Karina Walsh. And I'm also on LinkedIn, of course, as Karina Walsh. So feel free to connect with me in either of those ways. And I'm happy to share resources, happy to have a conversation with anyone who wants to chat. Amazing. I thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. Thank you for having me.
The women's labor force participation rate has hit the lowest level in over 30 years across Canada, and three entrepreneurs are responding with free support for female job seekers to fix the problem. Lee Mitchell of Women in Biz Network and Be Happy HR, Verity Dimmick, and Susan Christensen of My Career Launch have designed a She-Covery Plan, a rapid assessment tool to help unemployed women significantly speed up their job search and land the right jobs across Canada. Joining me now to discuss is Lee Mitchell and Sue Christensen. Welcome to the show, ladies. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, I want to talk about the problem very briefly. Uh, I think we all know what the problem is, but let's sum it up right now. What does it look like for women? Yeah, that's a very good question. So, you know, women in the last uh, 18 months have gone through an incredibly challenging time, both emotionally, professionally. uh, And what they're experiencing is, uh, first of all, in terms of the labor market, Uh, women uh, were predominantly in service-based industries that were hit hardest by the pandemic. And uh, women of color also uh, were were hit in in a way that was more so than men um, have experienced. Uh, So, you know, really uh, they're juggling a variety of different uh, issues in their life. So, you know, um, perhaps they've lost a job and they're trying to figure out a, a way to figure out the new job market. Uh, perhaps they are struggling to keep the job that they're in because they want to, um, you know, their career is fulfilling to them, but they're struggling because they're getting most of the, the housework responsibilities. Uh, and I won't even talk about single moms. <laughs> that's a, that's a, cha- that's another huge challenge, but let's, you know, those that are um, marginalized in any way are are getting the hardest uh, impacts. For those that are transitioning and figuring out, you know, what they want out of life, I think a lot of people have looked at, you know, different places that they want to live in the world and, uh, you know, reevaluating their purpose. So um, with all of these challenges, both uh, within the home and also within their work and possibly being laid off. There's uh, many areas in which we want to help women to get from um, surviving to thriving. That, that is the ultimate goal, really, is that thriving piece. So then let's move into the solution, because you are charging in like the Calvary, ready to, to help <laughs> women uh, out of this predicament. So what's the solution? So um, thank you. That's a great question. Is um, solution is a word that we are using a lot. So forgive me if I keep repeating it. And it's the word strategic. It's be strategic in positioning yourself in the job searching process, no matter where you are or whatever reason it is that you are um, in that job search process, you are going to need to be very tactical about how you go about this. Then uh, we've actually worked with um, a young lady who did a thousand job applications a thousand job applications she literally went from eight in the morning till 5 p.m every single day doing nothing but job applications and had very few interviews and eventually ended up with just one offer and that's not what we want women to be doing that's the exact opposite 
So through our seven cues assessment, we ask seven questions. It takes about 15 minutes. And through those seven questions, we're able to um, learn a lot about where the uh, women are in their process, what they've identified as their roles, what they've identified as their skills, etc. And we give uh, um, verbal feedback immediately in that um, video call. We, we also send out um, a couple of days later a follow-up report, which is um, highlights their um, areas of success, but also what some of the next steps are that they can take again to be really impactful. And it's the work smart, not hard idea. Yeah. And I think it is time a lot of women are, are reassessing everything. Do they want to go back into an office? Perhaps they don't. Maybe they don't like a hybrid model. Maybe they, you know, there's all mm -hmm. kinds of options now. So as much as there's been a problem, there are some opportunities as we come out of this for women to identify, to make it work for them. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. All right. Well, I, I love what you're doing. I, I, so you're going to be helping people with networking, training, um, anything else? So through the seven questions, um, we're able to pinpoint where um, any job such as may be on a continuum, on a map. And our map has got various stages. It's a roadmap that um, Verity and I have developed. And there are five key stages to really being able to push that job searching process forwards to get to the job that you really want, not the job that you're just settling for, but the job that you really want and to get there in a timescale which is actually feasible for you. So um, through those seven questions, it, de it depends on what comes out of those seven questions on then which school um, skills and tools that we're able to provide and which um, feedback that we're able to find and guidance and coaching. All right. I want people to be able to connect with you then. My goal here at What She Said is to make sure that I am lifting up my listeners and getting them in touch with the right people. You are the right people. So <laughs> where's the website? Tell me about social. Where can they go? Sure. So if you're, if anybody's interested in finding more out about the actual assessment itself, um, drop us an email. It's ever so easy. It's hello at mycareerlaunch.ca. But we've also got um, various social um, presences. Um, for My Career Launch, please do follow us on LinkedIn. And it's My Career Launch. Lee, over to you for yours. Yeah, so um, we've posted the press release that indicates what the challenges are, how far set back we have been in the, you know, 30 year low and how we're going to support. So um, you can reach us through um, our website, uh, Women in Biz Network. Uh, the the um, program is, is showcased there. Um, you can also follow us on social media. Um, at Women Biz Network across um, all of your favorite social media channels. All right. Thank you for joining me today, ladies. I think this is so important and I'm so pleased that you came on to share this because it's going to be invaluable for women uh, looking for work as we come out of this pandemic. So thank you for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. 
its 2009 Telling Tales has introduced Canada's leading children's authors, illustrators, storytellers, and musicians to children and youth. The free signature festival and year-round programming is designed to inspire both avid and reluctant readers. 12-year-old Ainara Aline is Telling Tales' junior ambassador and is on a mission to inspire kids to explore diverse characters and diverse creators. In her role, she will be introducing kids and families to some of Canada's best authors and illustrators in an interview series called One Big Question. Inara joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Inara. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, first off, this is a very exciting role for you to be taking on. Um, How did you come to be involved with this? Well, yes, it definitely is. And, you know, I actually kind of heard about the Telling Tales Festival through school before I started Inara's Bookshelf, my Instagram account. You know, they always had like programs and flyers and that types of stuff and like book clubs. So when they reached out to me, it was I was shocked and it was just a definite yes. And then I wanted to start reviewing and interviewing more Canadian authors and they wanted more diversity. And I think it was just a perfect fit. And yeah, so we sort of combined our superpowers and now I have Inara's one big question. That's amazing. And so I am going to assume that you are a big reader. Yes, I definitely am. And do you have some favorite uh, books right now that you're currently reading? Uh, well, I am currently reading Maya and the Robot by Ewing, and I am just finishing Marcus Makes a Movie by Kevin Hart. All right. Incredible. So tell me then more about telling tales. What do they offer to young readers? All right. Well, Telling Tales is a year-long festival with lots of programs. You know, usually it's kind of like in school, but it's just this really fun program and events. They have um, they have a main event in September to tw- September 21st to September 23rd. Registration opens in August, so make sure to check it out. And it's just, yeah, it's a super fun thing. And my interviews for Inara's Only Question are also on there. So tell me then. What is the one big question? Actually, it depends who I'm interviewing and what their book is about. It's always something different, but it's always one big question. All right. Then let's talk about a little bit about diversity in literature. Why is that so essential? I think that it's essential for both people of color or kids of color and also people who aren't of color because it helps you step into another person's shoes or sort of explore different cultures and backgrounds that you might not have. And it's also good to see yourself represented in ways that you haven't before. And it helps you believe in yourself because if you're seeing people that look like you doing amazing things, I think it kind of helps you believe that you can do those amazing things too. It's, it, it does throw back to that expression, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So you need to be able to see uh, people in those Uh, in those roles in order to see yourself possibly doing it, right? Yes, exactly. All right. So um, how, how does this empower kids then? Because this is ultimately what it's about, right? Is giving kids that, inspiring them, empowering them. How does Telling Tales do that? Well, it helps them to sort of like get into reading and not only think of reading as a chore, but more of a fun activity that can just help you in school. Because, you know, even if you don't want to be a writer or a librarian or anything like that, no matter what you do, you're going to have to be reading. Maybe you're reading instructions or you have to write out 
essays or something like that, it can always help you no matter what you're going into. And it's also just really fun. I know that a lot of kids don't really like reading. And I personally think that if you find the right book, that right book that you're really into that about a subject that you love and that you're passionate about, it will help you get into reading. And even if it's graphic novels, you know, I know a lot of people say that graphic novels aren't real reading, but they are. And because, you know, there's not a lot of words, it helps boost your vocabulary because they're using bigger words. So I think that once you're reading and once you have a book and you're enjoying it, it's a good thing and it can help you in so many ways. Okay. Um, The last thing I want to talk to you about is how kids can get involved and how parents uh, might encourage their kids to get involved if, say, they're a little more drawn to their screen. Yeah, well, I know if it's parents that are helping, I think it can be really fun and it can help with bonding if you're reading together or, you know, maybe your kid is reading to you or you're reading to your kid. As long as it's just like an interactive, fun activity, I think that that really helps, you know, it's fun. And maybe you're listening to audiobooks together or just anything like that. I think that that can really help and it can be really fun. I like the audiobook suggestion because that's something really easy to do when you hop in the car instead of turning on, you know, your playlist or or the radio. An audiobook is great and it prompts discussion. Uh, also important. I want people to be able to find out more about this incredible program. So can you please share uh, where people can find uh, more about Telling Table- Tales online and social media? Yes. Well, you can go to tellingtales.org is their website. And then I know that they have the Telling Tales Instagram and Telling Tales Twitter. All right. Incredible. Inara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.